0: Good morning. It's good to be gathered with you again for worship this morning and to be exploring this book of James with you. I think James offers such practical wisdom for our lives and for our time. And I just want to offer an important preface as we prepare to dive into this morning's passage from James, that this warning that he provides and our reflection on it together, it's for all of us. This message is for you. And this message is for me, and it's for anybody who's striving to honor God in their lives. I feel that far too often the posture that we can hold as we listen to sermons and as we read scripture is that of hearing on behalf of other people. That maybe we amen the bits that we know somebody else really needed to hear that we think it's a great message when it reinforces beliefs that we've held for a long time and that we know others in our church have struggled with. Today, I want to invite you and all of us not to play that game, that we should hear and receive these words from James, these instructions which we say are scripture and God breathes, as being first and foremost words which speak to us and to our lives. This is certainly James' intention to level the playing field right at the start of this chapter. Just as there should be no partiality in the church, there should be no pride of place or room for anybody to believe that they are above the simple lessons that we must hear over and over again and still so often fall short of. Indeed, James says, For all of us make many mistakes, all of us, even those who teach. So, ministers and those exploring faith, elders in our church and newcomers alike, all of us are encouraged to listen to these words of James and how they might challenge our lives to look honestly and plainly at ourselves. Not only do all of us make many mistakes, but James actually traces back the root of these many mistakes as being our tongue. Yes, it is the tongue, he says, which first leads us astray. So we all must have tongue-related problems. James argued that if any of us didn't have these kinds of problems, if any of us made no mistakes at all in speaking, if any of us had perfect control over our tongues or watched our mouths expertly, then we would in fact be perfect people, because our whole selves would be in check, having started that work with the tongue. And I wonder, is that actually the way that we think about things? Do we think that if we get our tongues in order, that everything else in our lives will follow? I'm not so sure that we do. Rather, it seems that many of us believe that if we just become good people, if we do the right things and increasingly behave in the right ways, that slowly but surely our tongue will also rein itself in begin to conform itself to the direction of the rest of our lives. But James quickly undermines this belief. We do not first make the horse do what we want and then eventually put a bridle in its mouth. Rather, the bridle comes first and then the horse will obey. We do not first decide the course of a ship and then trust that its rudder will true itself with time. Rather, we carefully adjust the rudder and steer the ship to its destination. So, too, it seems that we do not choose the direction of our lives and just hope that our tongue will come along. Rather, we watch our mouths, we speak wisely and carefully, and we will find that our lives display the result of the words which we have chosen to speak. One of the many difficult news stories that you might recall from this year was that of the wildfires in California. Another devastating year of fires of lost homes, lost lives, scorched lands. What you may not remember is how one of these fires started. It started at a gender reveal party, where a couple was using a pyrotechnic device that was meant to create a cloud of colored smoke to reveal their infant's gender. The device ignited tall grass in the park where the party was held burning thousands of acres of land and costing a firefighter's life. As James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is just such a fire. Not only does it have the capacity to set the course of our lives with its small spark, but also to be a destructive force in the world around us to scorch deeply in the lives of others, and to leave wounds that last long after the words that we spoke have been forgotten. The truth is, in fact, the furthest thing from that famous children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Rather, physical wounds seem to heal much more quickly than any wounds left by tongues. The damages of evil speech, lies, curses, and slander can continue to propagate themselves long after the fires of our tongues have stopped. Even so, we cannot always see the harm which our tongues do to others. Sometimes we make a point not to share the harsh and cruel things we say of other people with them, preferring to utter these curses beneath our breath or to the sympathetic ears of a friend, who, we might wonder, is harmed by such actions. What danger can this spark cause in the controlled burn that we choose to do in private? James is also quick to address this. With the tongue, he says, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Even if the other person never knows, even if our words never leave that quiet space beneath our breath, God does know and the deadly poison of our tongues harms ourselves as we reveal our hypocrisy, giving glory and honor to God and at the same time cursing the very people who that same God called very good when he created them, after making them in his own image. How might one tongue bless God yet curse his image? How, Could the same spring provide fresh and salty water? Consider, if somebody speaks well of you to your face, but you later learn that they speak ill of you to others, which of their words remain with you? In the same way that fresh water and salt water become brackish, still salty to the taste, so too blessings and curses mixed together seem to net out in curses, spoiling any blessings with them. And cursing here is much more than simply using foul language, speaking ill of. Rather, it is in fact desiring ill for. Perhaps you're quite good at never calling somebody a name, of never sharing your criticisms broadly, but maybe you do not desire the best for everybody who's around you even the ones who disturb you greatly, who annoy you at every turn, who cause you trouble in your spirit. Even these you should desire well for because they are people who are made in the image of the God who you serve and desiring well for them and blessing them, refraining from cursing them. You honor God, your maker, and theirs. There's this story of Saint Therese of Lisieux a Carmelite nun in the late 19th century, she writes of her struggles to love another nun who irritated her whatever she did or said. Perhaps you have a person like that or two in your life. She tried to love this nun, and she decided that actions could lead the way before feelings. And so she writes, I tried to do as many things for her as I could, and whenever I was tempted to speak unpleasantly to her, I made myself give her a pleasant smile and tried to change the subject. And after all this, she asked me one day with a beaming face, Sister Therese, will you please tell me what attracts you so much to me? You give me such a charming smile whenever you see me. Ah, it was Jesus, hidden in the depth of her soul, who attracted me. Jesus, who makes the bitterest things sweet even as St. Therese was slowly able to see Jesus in this nun who she so desired to curse and to speak ill of, can we also learn to see the image of God in those people who drive us to despair, who our tongues wish to lash out at? Yet still, James warns us that this task is well beyond us. He writes, no human being can tame the tongue. And so does he simply mean that our tongues are an evil which we must tolerate in ourselves and in others? Should we not follow the example of Therese of Lisieux? Are we then to make no effort to watch our mouths, now aware of the futility of this task? By no means. Rather, it seems that James is directing our attention elsewhere. Mankind has tamed all kinds of animals. They do not tame themselves. And as St. Augustine says, a man is needed in order to tame a horse. And in the same way, God is needed in order to tame a man. Rather than tolerating the evil of the tongue or trying in vain to be both the trainer and the tamed, James seems to be inviting us to look elsewhere for help in this work to ask God to watch over our mouths with us. About 10 years ago, I was having a conversation with a mentor of mine, and I made some joke at his expense. I can't remember at all what the joke was now, but what I can still remember, what I suspect I will never forget, was his simple assessment that I have a biting sense of humor. That brief interaction put me on a road which I must confess I am still only beginning of watching my mouth. I believe that I've made tremendous progress in constraining my tongue over the years since that interaction and others like it which have followed. And I also believe that there will always be a spot in my heart for a well-timed sarcastic comment. But the work is so far from complete. Far too often I find myself in old patterns again. I am consistently aware of the need for God to address this shortcoming in my life, as well as many others for me. For Jesus to use the grace that's present in his church and the power offered by his spirit to continue to push me along the road of controlling my tongue. Maybe for you it's not biting words. Maybe that's never been a problem. But it could be gossip or slander ill wishes, or an inability to be charitable when another has wronged you. We're all on this journey of learning to watch our mouths, and all of us make many mistakes, but we must press on. You may be tempted to excuse the way that your mouth betrays you, to mistake its poison for a balm, its dangerous ways as wisdom, but we must never succumb to this way of thinking. We must never boast in these failings or deny the truth of our own struggle with taming our tongues, of resisting envy and selfishness, of genuinely desiring goodness and not evil for those around us. Making excuses for such ways of living, James calls earthly, unspiritual, even demonic, a way which leads to disorder and every evil practice. Rather, We should desire for ourselves lives which are marked by the wisdom that comes from heaven. And if the tongue sets the course of our lives, then these virtues must first be found in our mouths before they can take root in our hearts and be seen in our actions. What we say must be pure, then peace-loving, considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It is a tall order. In short, it should be everything that our mouths and our words so often are not. It should be the very way of speaking that we hear so rarely and almost never hear from leaders in our culture. That when we do hear it, it in fact strikes us as peculiar, or we don't quite know how to respond to it. I sometimes feel that way when another person is just so genuine, sincere, and heartfelt. I don't know what to say. Perhaps even that over time it causes others to come to us and to ask us what we are so drawn to in them. And at that point we can rightly answer that we see in them the very image of their maker, a joy that we all might delight in. James closes this chapter with the promise that peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Maybe that sounds a little bit like the verse from today's kids moment from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I suspect that James meant to make this parallel for us, reminding us of Jesus' words. As we continue to seek a harvest of righteousness, of justice as a church and as a society, we must do so as peacemakers. And James, ever practical in his wisdom, gives us a hint that peacemakers must sow in peace in order to reap that harvest. We cannot sow in strife and expect a harvest of justice. We cannot cause with our words division and trouble and pain and expect to be called peacemakers, children of God. No, indeed, peacemakers sow in peace. And may the words of our mouths be words which plant peace in the hearts of all to whom we speak and of all who we speak about, that one day there would be a harvest of righteousness for all of God's children, Truly, in our lives and by our prayers, may God's kingdom come. Amen. Since we really do believe that God's spirit speaks to all of us through God's word, we want to invite you to a couple of minutes of quiet reflection, and there are some questions for you to consider that you'll see on your screen. The first question is simply, in what ways is God inviting you to watch your mouth? I think that's very important that we all have a sense of the dangers of our tongues as unique as they are. And then the second question maybe for you to pray about or just contemplate is to think of a person or two who you do not desire the best for and to pray that God would show you how you can love these people in word and in deed. So we'll leave a couple of moments for you to hear from God's Spirit for your life.